This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Adam Kalusian here, one of your co-hosts of the Sinners and Saints programs, and I want to welcome you to this first of three remixed, re-edited shows, our series on the Calvary Chapel movement. Quite a while ago, it's been some months, we did a series on the Calvary Chapels that, for various reasons, did not find their way onto this website. So we've recut them, we've re-edited them, we've remixed them for your listening pleasure, and in this first segment of this first part of the three-part series, I want you to think about two things. First of all, listen as we talk about the marketing strategy that was underlying the beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement, and more importantly, listen for the unbiblical, anti-authoritarian position of the pastor that founded the movement. Thanks for joining us on Sinners and Saints. We're talking about Calvary Chapels, and for those of you who are not familiar with the Calvary Chapel movement, we want to introduce you to uh, their history. Where did they come from? Well, if you want to learn a little bit about the church that Chuck built, I think you have to go back to his original training, which was in the Foursquare denomination, the L.A. Lake Bible College back in the 40s, where Chuck went and studied in the Foursquare Denominational Seminary. And after that, he took a calling to be an evangelist. And according to Chuck's own description, for a period of about 17 years, He had his two years of sermons, and when he was done preaching those, he packed up his stuff along with the wife and kids, and they went to the next church and the next church and the next church. And through this process, Chuck began to develop a philosophy of ministry, which radically, he says, changed his life. But it was those early, what he calls desert years, which really kind of formed the backdrop to this whole phenomenon, which we've now experienced, which is the Calvary Chapel movement. By the late 60s, uh, a movement developed called the Jesus Movement. This was young people, hippies who were burning God from the drug scene and all the protests, and they were searching for something else, and this is the time in which a lot of the Hare Krishna, Eastern philosophies came in. But some of the people were used to hearing the name Jesus, and they started turning over to Jesus, or they became the Jesus Movement, the Jesus Freaks, or however they were called during that time. Chuck Smith had the marketing brilliance to tap into this group, a group that was overall neglected by the mainline churches, and that's where he was able to build up the Calvary Chapel movement. He was able to market to these disaffected people who were not concerned with authority, in fact, were very anti-authoritarian, and he was able to give them a venue in which they could supposedly worship the sovereign God of the universe without being subject to authority. What do you mean that they marketed themselves to a disaffected drug culture, and what do you mean that they're anti-authoritarian? Well, Donald Miller wrote a book called Reinventing American Protestantism, and in there he's referring to the Calvary Chapel movement and other things, and he said this ministry was spread to the hippies in the Costa Mesa area, and at that time he went through and he got these people who were they were able to get an excitement for sharing their new faith. This open atmosphere fit them perfectly at Calvary Chapel. This idea that what they were already feeling and sensing about themselves is what was catered to, as opposed to the gospel being preached which transforms lives, Instead, it was a gospel tailored to their lives. I think that's correct, because there are a number of times where uh, Chuck himself refers to the unfolding uh, development of the Calvary Chapel in its early stages in history. And one of them was an experience he had at Huntington Beach. After years of going from church to church to church, he finally began to settle down for a while in Huntington Beach. And one of the things that he noticed is that he and his wife would just look at all these disaffected hippies who seem to be searching for something. He doesn't necessarily begin his ministry to them at that time, but clearly 
by that point, he is thinking about these people. How can I talk to them? How can I witness them? And it's later when he gets to Costa Mesa, finally, he says that his college-age daughter begins to introduce him to this whole group of disaffected people. And that's when his ministry really kicks in. But it's important to note that he had time to really think on this. I think he was planning and preparing for this. And you also have what was called, Donald Miller called it, a new paradigm church. That was the whole thing that it was designed for people who are in societal rebellion against the establishment, who are rejecting their parental authority and the materialistic world in which they grew up in. And so they were just pretty much told, well, of course you're correct in everything, now just add Jesus to the pot. They weren't told, no, you have to confront the reality of the fact that you live in God's creation and you're a sinner. Okay, that gives us an idea about the whole marketing thing. What we're more interested in is this idea of the historic roots of the Chuck Smith Calvary Chapel movement in anti-authoritarianism. Let me address that with Chuck's own words. This comes from Harvest, a book that he co-authored with a guy named Tal Brook, where Chuck says, These thoughts marked a major turning point in my life. I felt God clearly speaking to my heart. That's important. And after more than 17 years of personal drought, 17 years of failure in the traditional forms of Christian ministry, I knew that this era of confinement was finally coming to an end. Now let me tell you from his own words how this comes to an end. He says, That very Sunday evening, church service had been unusually joyous and positive. We decided to change the format. Notice the we. It was I. Change the format from the traditional song service announcements, prayer, and sermon to a more informal kind of gathering. I arranged the chairs in a circle rather than a row. Rather than using the hymnal, we worshiped the Lord in singing choruses. And then I shared in a more informal way from the Word of God, sitting there and teaching, more as I would within an intimate home fellowship rather than the traditional church setting. Now, here's the response, according to Chuck. It was electric. A lot of people got excited, but here's the kicker. The board members had difficulty with the change of format, and they were so upset they called the board meeting immediately after the service. And they informed me they did not want this to continue. Now, the normal response, the biblical response of a pastor teacher in a church, when they do something or they say something that the board has a problem with, is to sit down with your fellow workers in the Lord and to work through these issues and to try and find a way to address their concerns with humility and submission and working together as those appointed by God. But what did Chuck Smith do? What is the root of the Calvary Chapel movement? I sat before the church board that evening, Chuck said. I kept my composure. Rather than stir up dissent, I acquiesced to their request, not even seeking to defend what I had done, but in my heart. I burned a quiet certainty that God had called me to be a shepherd, not a hireling or a ministerial employee on the payroll of businessmen. I want you to think about this for a minute. Here is this pastor who is, rightfully so, being held accountable for his actions to those who he is serving with in the church. And when they would disagree or challenge something that he is doing, he now identifies himself as a shepherd who does not have to answer to anybody else. In fact, they're treating him like a hireling. This becomes an integral part of how Chuck Smith and how the Calvary Chapel pastors work. Their view is that they are accountable to no one except to God who tells them immediately without any mediation how they ought to do things. Well, he brings up this charge. It's absolutely stunning. He says the elders on the board use their rules of procedure to shape and confine the church to their own image. 
See, what you have here is a battle of wills. Whose image is better, mine or the Board of Elders? And at no point do we even look to see, is the Board of Elders image biblical or is Chuck Smith's biblical? It's purely a matter of Madison Avenue, which is what he accuses them of, versus himself, the God-ordained prophet, if you will, who has been given a vision of how the church should be. So if you disagree with Chuck, you're not necessarily biblical. You're just a, you're just a businessman. That's what he calls it in the bottom line. He's not an employee on the payroll of businessmen. These guys are pattering the church after Madison Avenue. They're only there in their positions because they've been successful in the secular world. So clearly these people are fleshly. They can't be trusted. He alone has the pipeline to God. Yeah, they may not be able to sharpen some of my skills. They are just fighting me because I have the clear vision. I don't need anybody to, to test me, to support me, to work through issues of how to run a church with me. I know because God has told me, and I'm going to operate that way. Chuck says, I realized at that moment, quoting again from his book Harvest, that this was not going to be my permanent place of ministry. And the tiny fellowship at Calvary Chapel was already pressing me to come down and start my ministry with them. What was attractive in this was the opportunity to establish bylaws and articles allowing me freedom to be the shepherd responsible for God that I was called to be. These are remarkable statements for a Christian minister because we read in the New Testament of the twelve apostles being one in mind in what they are doing and at the points in which they weren't one in mind, where controversies came up, they didn't resolve it by saying, we will make it so that each one of us will make pronouncements over our particular congregation. They came together in council, and that's where they, they hashed out these things, and they came to an agreement guided by the Spirit, evaluating the Word. Well, apparently the church expanded from... Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth because these 12 apostles couldn't get along and each of them needed to go to their own little fellowships and establish churches uh, according to the way they wanted to minister before the Lord. So what we have to do is ask, is this looking like a good Christian model of doing business? Because quite often you're just going to get the argument, well, look at how big we are. We have the explosive growth that the New Testament church had, 3,000 baptized in one day. And we don't see this in the mainline churches. And so obviously they're false, and we're true because we're bigger. And this whole argument that structure, uh, structure constrains growth and that it is... Uh, the antidote really to growth or the antithesis to growth is really silly because, you know, he, he himself brings this up, and this is why it's important to address. He says, little wonder that particular church, referring back to the Corona Bible Fellowship, the reason it lacked explosive dynamism, relevance, and love the early churches reported in the New Testament is because they wanted to be doctrinally sound. They wanted to have a structure. He says, you can't have that. What you have to have is one man running the show. But Acts doesn't report that. It first reports that they chose another apostle to take the place of Judas, and then it tells us in Acts chapter 6, they formed a diaconate. It tells us in Acts 15, they all gathered together as elders and apostles to, to um, discuss doctrinal matters within the church. And as the apostles went around from town to town preaching the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and people were being saved, the first thing that they did was appoint elders in the church so that they could mutually grow and mature that community in true faith, along with the ministers of the word who were appointed. Ministers have never been allowed to be cavalier, and to do whatever they want, and to just sort of run things. This is not the biblical model, and yet it is the model of the Calvary Chapel Chuck Smith movement. I think the, the question that's important to ask at this point is, where in the world does this brazen, self-confident commitment to one man running the show idea come from? 
if it's clearly not taught in the Bible, if it's clearly against uh, natural wisdom, where does it come from? And I think the answer to that is what he relates in this book called Harvest Again. It's a prophecy which was made over him while he says he was still in the denominational church. He doesn't give us the time or date or the people involved. I guess that's not important to see whether you can establish this factually or not. But he says people were meeting together in a prayer meeting and a prophecy of the Lord came to this group and they said they wanted to change his name. And the new name he was given was a name which meant shepherd, he says, because, quote, he was going to make me the shepherd of many flocks and the church would not be large enough to hold all of the people who would be flocking to hear the word of God. So you see, if you want to trace down the roots of this anti-authoritarian, this me-first, me-only philosophy of ministry, which is clearly against the Bible, which is clearly against human wisdom, I think you have to trace it back to this prophecy, which at least Chuck himself does, which uh, basically establishes the reason why he thinks he should be the one calling all the shots in the church. God said he should. He's the shepherd. I have to say I'm kind of speechless as I'm contemplating the magnitude of this arrogance. It is just phenomenal that you have a man now declaring that all the wisdom of the ages that God has given the church is of no relevance, and he alone is actually being given new commands and a new name. A new name which he is being told now, which, I mean, if he ever tries to use the revelation argument for it of that new name, it doesn't work because everybody's finding out about it. But what's really remarkable here is understand what's going to happen then if you are a member of Calvary Chapel. You are completely under the authority of Chuck and his teaching. And you cannot question him. And that's any Calvary Chapel, by the way, because if you want to read this prophecy in a literalistic kind of way, which we know Chuck would want us to do since he believes in the literal interpretation of Scripture, so we should also believe in, in the literal interpretation of prophecy. If the prophecy said, you will be the shepherd of many flocks, then that means that Chuck Smith is the Pope of Calvary Chapel. Not just Costa Mesa, but wherever a Calvary Chapel is organized in the name uh, of Calvary Chapel, he must be the ruler. Now, is that consistent with his philosophy of ministry, that there is one shepherd over the flock who hears from God and then tells the people? Well, no, it's not. Because you have all kinds of so-called shepherds over all these different churches that call themselves Calvary Chapel, whether that be in Southern California or across the United States or the world, and yet Chuck is saying, no, I'm actually the one that calls the shots. And he really is. There's been purges in the Calvary Chapels. You don't get to hear about these much, but back in 94, 95, they purged quite a number of ministers who were becoming a little bit too unorthodox for Chuck. Although their unorthodoxy was what we would call Reformed theology. It was actually the orthodox doctrines for which they were thrown out, but it disagreed with Chuck. Oh, it's so true. We used to run in those circles five, six years ago. Guys that were Calvary Chapel ministers, you know what their preparation was for sermons? Go get the Chuck Smith tape where he preached on that passage, listen to it, and it don't. And whatever you do, don't say anything different than what Chuck Smith said. He's the Pope. He's running the movement. It's man-centered. Come back after the break to Sinners and Saints. Reformation Radio. Theology with an Edge. Adam Kalustian here again to remind you that you're listening to a re-edited version of part one of a three-part series on the Calvary Chapels that we did at Sinners and Saints. And as I bring you back into the final segment of show one, what you're going to hear is Moses Jambazian 
reading from the Belgic Confession of Faith. So when he's referring to what the historic Protestant Church has said, he's referring to one of the historic Protestant confessions, which summarizes the basic teachings of the Bible. So you know what he's talking about. Thanks for listening to Sinners and Saints. In regards to the idea of authority, here is what the Protestant Church has said. We believe that this true church must be governed by, the, by that spiritual polity which our Lord has taught us in his word, not by direct revelation to Chuck, but in the scriptures. Namely, that there must be ministers or pastors to preach the word and to administer the sacraments. Also, elders and deacons who together with the pastors form the council of the church. Not the pastor ruling over them, but together all of them as the council of the church, that by these means the true religion may be preserved and the true doctrine everywhere propagated, likewise transgressors punished and restrained by spiritual means. So you see, here is a systematic understanding of these things, and you compare that with what Chuck says, he got a direct revelation, and he will be the shepherd of all these places, and the whole council is set up for him to do his will. Notice what it doesn't say here, and it's very important. It doesn't say ministers who hear from God and then teach the church. That's Chuck's argument. I have the right and authority to tell you what to do, and the churches, because I hear from God. I am the shepherd of many flocks, but it didn't say that. The confession says ministers who preach and teach the word of God. I don't want you to misunderstand us. We're not saying that there aren't good Christian people in Calvary chapels. We believe that there are. That's why we're so passionate to get the word out to you. That uh, some of the things that you've been learning and the movement that you're caught up in is not right. Uh, what we want you to see is that when the scripture is properly open to you, uh, that will be a firm basis for unity among believers which has been attacked by these kinds of sectarian movements and men who have uh, thought, as the scripture says, more highly of themselves than they ought. You know what? The true shepherd of many flocks is not Chuck. It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of his church. He authorizes what we should believe, what we should preach, and how we should live as Christians within the body of Christ. There is one head and one authority, Christ alone. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.